Thank you so much for that wonderful song leading and prayers. Appreciate all of you who lead in the worship service. It's a great encouragement to me. And I'm thankful for this time this morning to be a part of the worship service and giving the lesson for our morning worship. And I want to bring up a lesson that has become very important to me, one that has become very apparent to me during my work in the Pacifica Islands. One of the greatest blessings that I've found in doing mission work, and specifically work with the people in the Pacific, is the great gift and blessing that encouragement brings. Brothers and sisters in Christ in the Pacific, they will go out of their way to encourage me, to lift me up, and to do the same for all their brothers and sisters in Christ. And part of my responsibility as a missionary and a teacher with the PIBC is I go with the purpose of encouraging the Christians, lifting them up, helping them in whatever way I can on a regular basis. And I do that for many different reasons. One is... With the way it is, it is scattered in the Pacific, it's very hard to gain the same encouragement from your brothers and sisters in Christ like we can here in the United States. Especially where, where I'm from, where I live, where I've worked, there are churches of Christ around every corner in the state of Alabama, and there's typically one in every county in the state of Georgia. And it's easy for us to get together and to fellowship together, to have gospel meetings together and be encouraged. There's also many ways online that we can be encouraged here in the United States as the church. You know, there is OABS, there is many, there are many lectureships that are filmed and put online. There are many lectureships that you can go to. There are many Videos that you can watch online on YouTube, other church works that you can view just at the click of a button to gain encouragement and study God's word. And in the Pacific, they don't have that opportunity. They typically aren't in a place where there's more than one congregation of the Lord's church on an island. And they don't have that access to technology like we do here where they can see those things and watch those things as easily as we can. So encouragement is very important for the Christians in the Pacific. However, especially this past year and, and working for six weeks in the nation of Fiji, what I've found is that when I go to the Pacific to encourage the Christians there, I feel like I get more encouragement from them than I give to them. I feel like they are so positive and such great uplifters and encouragers as fellow Christians in Christ. Sometimes I feel like I fall short in my own way and in my own desire to uplift and encourage. And from this, this feeling and this experience of encouragement in the Pacific, it really drew my attention to the idea and the concept of encouragement in Scripture. And it brought to my attention the fact that encouragement is not so much 
something that the elders should be doing or something that the preachers should be doing or something that the leaders of the church should be doing. But the scripture plainly teaches that encouragement is a command for every Christian. And that it is very important for the church to seek to encourage each other just as much as we should seek to keep sin out of the church. And so for our time this morning, I want to examine some scriptures that I learned and that I studied in, in looking at this subject and a lesson that I put together that came from this concept and get us to examine the commands that the Bible teaches as pertaining to the concept of encouragement. Because I'm sure you're well aware that the church should be a refuge from the world. That when we come through these doors, we should feel like we are in a safe place. That we are in a good place. That we can leave all those earthly cares at the door and we can come in and be surrounded by people that number one, love us. But number two, are there to lift us up and to help us make it through the next week. And so it's important to examine these scriptures because that's what I want to be for you. That's what I want to be for the Christians in the Pacific. And I believe that's what you want to be as well. An encourager as the scriptures command. So I want to look at three things in particular. Three ideas, three concepts pertaining to encouragement that I think will help us completely understand this subject and understand its importance and understand the command to lift each other up and to encourage one another. And I want to begin probably with the thing that you're thinking of right now. When I talk about encouragement, the very first thing that's going to come into your mind is probably words. Encouraging words. Number one, speaking kind words is a command in Scripture. And you're exactly right. That is what encouragement can be in certain situations. Let's look at a couple of Scriptures with this. First of all, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. I want you to see what this passage says. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now, this is an interesting passage of Scripture primarily for one reason, and that is because of the verse that follows it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 is probably a verse you've heard before, probably a verse that you've been quoted many times from the pulpit here. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 talks about not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And it's a verse that we often use in quotation talking about making sure that we are not neglecting our worship services. That we are coming to the Bible class, that we are coming to worship. And that's a great point, an excellent point to make from verse 25. But if you keep verse 25 in its context and you couple it with this passage here, verse 24, you find out why the Hebrew writer is encouraging us to come to worship. The writer is telling us that part of our purpose of coming together in the assembly is to consider each other, to stir each other up in love 
and good works. In the context, the general context here, the writer is talking about the day of judgment drawing near. And the Hebrew writer is calling our attention to aid each other in reaching the goal. What is that goal? The goal of heaven. We all want to make it to eternity. We all want to be with God in heaven. Well, what's a way we can do that? The Hebrew writer tells us in verse 24 and 25, coming together, encouraging each other, stirring up, is that idea, in love and good works. Keep going, encouraging each other with what we say to make it to the next day, to make it through the next week, to make it to the end of our journey. And to make it to heaven. And so the Hebrew writer is calling our attention to the importance of encouragement as we are looking to the future and what we hope to attain in, in, in heaven. And just like with any competition, just like with anything that we do that takes time, there are moments where we get discouraged. There are moments where we ask ourselves, is this worth it? Can I keep going? Can I finish this race? Can I complete this journey? And the Hebrew writer is telling us one way to help encourage us, bolster us, stir us up to keep going is through those encouraging words that the church gives to one another. Another passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11. Let me give you the context here. Paul the Apostle is discussing the coming of the resurrection. So again, talking about judgment. And he tells the Thessalonians and he's telling us that everyone will be raised from the dead one day. Both the unrighteous and the righteous. But here specifically in 1 Thessalonians, he is going to center around the resurrection of the righteous. Because he's wanting to encourage the Thessalonians to have courage, to be encouraged, to take heart, because one day they will be reunited with the ones that they love in eternity. See, the Thessalonians and many of the churches in this time were suffering persecution. People are dying for the cause of Christ. And that definitely can become a discouragement. And so they're wondering what's going to happen. Are they dead? Will I ever see them again? And Paul is writing and he's telling them, yes, there is a day coming that those who died faithful to God, you will see them again. And you will be reunited with them and with the Lord and you'll be together forever. And that's the context of verse 11 where he says, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing. Verse 18 of chapter 4 says it this way, Therefore comfort one another with these words. What words? These words of encouragement and uplifting about the resurrection of the dead, about the reuniting of ourselves with those that we love who have gone on before. And using that hope of the resurrection as a way to encourage the Thessalonians and encourage each other with reminding each other of all the blessings that are yet to come. You know, I, I think of myself as very blessed by the Lord in this life. But even still, there are greater blessings to come. Greater things waiting for us in eternity if we remain 
faithful to God. And using that hope to encourage and uplift each other is important. It's key. It's crucial for us to make it through this life. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Here Paul is reminding the Christians to keep the devil out of their lives. To do what is right, especially in regards to other Christians. And that's the emphasis I want you to get here in this passage. He's specifically talking about how we treat each other. And being respectful, treating each other right in the church. Now look at verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So here, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and he specifies the words there. Our language, what we say, what we speak to each other. And he reminds the church and he reminds us that we need to be especially careful in what we say to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Watch our words. But what we need to say is what is good for what? Edification. Encouragement. That it may impart grace to the hearers. Too often in the church, what we see is people talking bad about each other. Whispering, hey, did you hear about brother so-and-so? Or did you see what sister so-and-so was doing? And that's what we do with our words. That's how we speak about each other in the Lord's church. And it ought not to be so. But we should use our words in the correct way for necessary edification and uplifting. We want the person who hears what we have to say to leave here uplifted, encouraged, imparting grace to them so that they feel lighter, they feel happier, they feel closer to God because of how we spoke to them. That's what encouragement means when we talk about the command to encourage. Using our words for edification, imparting grace. Number two, the second way that encouragement is talked about in the Scripture is not just with words, which is always our first assumption, our first thought, but secondly, it's with our actions. Encouragement comes when we help each other. Not just say, oh, I hope you can make it through. I hope uh, everything works out for you. You know, talking about the the hurricane that just came through, it's like saying, well, I, I hope everything works out and not offering any kind of help, not offering any kind of aid in any way, but saying, well, I, good luck in essence. But we, if we want to be true encouragers, those words need to be accompanied with action. Turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. And here is some detailed information. And it's important for you to understand the context of this passage in order to understand what Paul is saying. But in Romans chapter 14 and here at the beginning of Romans chapter 15, Paul is discussing this idea of scruples. Now scruples is the concept of a belief that someone has that is so tied to their faith that if they break it in their conscience, in their heart, in their mind they view it as sin. But 
The difference between an actual sin and a scruple is that a scruple is simply a belief someone has, but not actually something commanded in Scripture. And Paul uses as an example here in Romans 14 and 15 to clarify what he's talking about. In the time that Paul is writing, paganism is very big. It's a, it's a large uh, part of the way of life, very, very much part of almost every culture. And many of the Christians that he converted and many others converted came out of paganism into Christianity. And there's a situation there where in the city like in Rome or in other places like Corinth where there was a very large pagan worship, the people who would worship to idols, to these false gods, would sometimes... And this is just an example. This is not necessarily technically how they did it, but they would go on Saturday to their temple to offer animal sacrifices to their God. And they would offer their animal sacrifices on Saturday. And when they were done offering their worship to this false God, if they had maybe part of an animal left over that had not been used in the worship, that person would say, well, tomorrow I'll take this down to the market and I will sell this animal, this meat, for food to someone to buy. And I'll make some money off the remainder of this, this sacrifice. And what the issue that was coming up that Paul is addressing here is some people, especially those coming out of paganism, were very uncomfortable with buying meat that had been used in worship to false gods. They felt like they themselves, by eating that meat, were worshiping that false god. But then you had other Christians, maybe specifically Jewish Christians, who came out of the law of Moses and became Christians. They knew those aren't real gods. They're statues made of gold, of stone, of wood, whatever. And that meat is just meat. And when I cook it and I sit down to eat it and I pray over it, that meat is blessed by the Lord and it's not in worship to any false god. But the person who had the issue, who maybe came out of that background, they felt too conflicted about it to buy that meat and to eat it. And so Paul goes into a large discussion here talking about how to approach that situation. And this is basically what he says in verse 1 and 2. This is the summation. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to his edification. Paul says, if eating meat offends my brother or sister in Christ, then I'm a vegan. He says, if you're a Christian and you are someone who has no problem with eating meat that had been used in animal sacrifice the day before, don't take that meat home with you. Prepare a nice, you know, make for us today, a nice thick cut steak cooked and seasoned perfectly with all the sides and prepare that meal and then invite your brother or sister in Christ who does have that problem, sit them down for dinner, and as soon as they take that bite, look at them and say, hey, you want to know where I got that? And then proceed to tell them where you bought that and who you bought that from. He said, that's not the right attitude. You're causing that person to hurt their conscience, to break 
their belief in their heart. And even though it's not a command, it's not technically a sin, it's a sin to them. And that's a discouragement. That's you being a villain. And he says on the other side of that in this context, if you have that belief and you hold it strongly, don't push it on other people either. Let them have their liberty. If you have a conscience matter about something, but you cannot prove it as truth from the Scripture, don't make everyone else follow your scruple. But you give everyone the freedom that God gave them. And so Paul says, as a Christian, my goal then should not be to please myself. Oh, well, I, I really like the, the big, thick-cut steak that I can buy in the marketplace from that one vendor that offers animal sacrifices. You know, I, I really just, I really like it, and if they, if they don't want to eat it, that's their problem. No, not to please myself, Paul says. I do what's best for my brother and sister in Christ, for their good, for their edification. We should work hard to please our brothers and sisters in Christ, to be a good neighbor, a good member of the Lord's church so that we are more cohesive. We are more unified together in the church because we take care of each other and respect each other in that way. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 says it this way, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is specifically talking about when someone falls away into sin. Someone who possibly has left the church, they are not coming to worship, they are struggling in their sin, they are losing their faith. Paul says, you as their brothers and sisters in Christ have a responsibility to help bring them back to the Lord. Don't whisper behind their back, point fingers and talk about what's going on, but then to their face, act like everything's okay. Try your best to help. Go to that brother or sister in Christ. Say, what can I do to help you in your faith? What can I do to help you come back to the Lord? What is my responsibility as a Christian? That's the question I need to be asking myself to that person who is struggling with their faith. Maybe they haven't fallen away from completely, but maybe there's sin in their life that they're just struggling with. Paul says we need to be aiding them. We need to be encouraging them. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Same concept here. We need to be looking out for each other, not just for ourselves. But when someone else is struggling with sin, I come to help. I come to encourage. Just like the human body, right? When your head hurts, the rest of your body knows it, doesn't it? When your stomach hurts, the rest of your body knows it. The body is so closely interconnected that even when your finger hurts, your brain knows, your body knows. The whole system of our physical body is so interconnected and so dependent on each other that it has that sympathetic feeling when one part hurts. And that is exactly what Paul's getting at here. That same concept. I am so close and so have so much love for my brothers and sisters in Christ that when they hurt, I hurt. When they rejoice, I rejoice. When they struggle with sin, I'm there for them. 
And that is a way that we encourage each other. That is a way that we uplift each other. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, the same context as before. Here Paul says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know, God wants us to do good. God wants us to be an encourager to everyone that we meet. Because that's what Christ has called us to be to the world, a light to the world. But Paul here says, that's true, but also especially we need to be that for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to make a special effort to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, to help them in the ways that they need. Because that's what we as Christians are called to do. Number three, we need to turn to the source. You know, you may be looking at these verses, reading all these passages along with me, and you might be saying to yourself, Nathaniel, that's great. I agree completely with you. We do need to encourage people with our words. We do need to encourage people with our actions. But what happens when I get discouraged, right? What happens when my cup is emptied? I've been pouring so much into, into everyone else, trying to help them with their issues, help encourage them to overcome their sin, and now I'm just drained. And I have nothing left. One thing we need to remember as Christians is that we all need to be drawing from the same source. We all need to be getting refilled Every day from the same spring. And that spring is the Lord Himself. I want you to look at a couple of scriptures to help clarify this point. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Here Moses has died. He has gotten the people up to the promised land. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and now they're about to enter into the promised land and Moses dies because he was told by the Lord he will never enter the land of Canaan. And before he dies, Moses establishes a new leader for the people of Israel to lead them into the promised land. His name was Joshua. And here in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, we have Joshua, the newly appointed leader of the people of Israel, about to go into this land of giants and fortified walled cities, and he's tasked with the, the job of conquering all of these nations. How do you think Joshua was feeling at that moment in time? He was probably a little stressed, maybe a little discouraged. So the Lord comes to him and the Lord says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Why? Why do I not need to be afraid, Lord? Why should I not be discouraged when I'm about to go fight these massive armies? God says, for the Lord your God is with you. I'm with you, Joshua, wherever you go. See, it is easy for us to be drained. It is easy for us to pour out of ourselves so much that we ourselves become empty. That happens. But what we need to remember, as Christians especially, is that when we start feeling depleted ourselves, we need to turn around and get that encouragement as well. 
Well, where do we get it from? God says, you get it from me. When you become weary, when you become discouraged, when you are afraid, remember that I'm with you. Remember that I am helping you. Romans chapter 15 and verse 3. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is encouraging the Romans in the blessings of Christ. And he's actually just talked about how we know Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That he is the descendant of David. He is the son of promise. And he is reminding them of that because part of the, Christ, the group of Christians there in Rome, some of them were not Jews. They were Gentiles. And so he is reminding these Christians who may not have grown up knowing the law of Moses, knowing all these prophecies of the Messiah, he's reminding them of how we can know Jesus is the Son of God. And he says there in verse 13, because of this knowledge, because we know without a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is our Savior, Paul says, you can be filled with joy. You can be filled with peace because you believe in the Son of God. And now, because of that belief, you have hope in the future. And so just with the knowledge of God's Word alone, the Scripture tells us we can be filled. God is there to fill us. And if we will open His Word when we become discouraged, we can draw from that unending spring the hope, the joy, and the peace that we need to keep going. John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus, speaking of Himself, says it this way, These things I have spoken to you, which is His teaching, the Word, the Gospel message, that in me... You may have what? Peace. In the world, you have tribulation. Jesus says, I know you're going to struggle. I know outside those doors, life isn't perfect and things don't work out right and Satan is around every corner. But be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. Jesus says, don't worry. Don't be discouraged. I have already won the ultimate victory, and you can as well through me. Jesus Christ says, I am here for you. I'm here to comfort you. He's the greatest comforter. And he says, I can do, you can do anything through me. If you will draw strength and encouragement from me and from my word. Now think about it this way. If every one of us is encouraging each other with our words and our actions, filling each other up through those things. And then each one of us is also drawing from the spring of hope and peace and love that is in God and His Word. Then we can all continue to be refilled. We can all continue to be encouraged and uplifted. And by showing that kind of love for each other, that kind of encouragement, we can help change the church as a whole. Not just here at our local congregation, but all across the world. We can turn the church into a refuge from the world. 
and turn it into a place where people can feel safe and feel loved. But in order to make that happen, it starts with each one of us making the choice to do something about our life. The question you need to be asking yourself right now is do you feel alone? Do you feel discouraged? Do you feel helpless in the dark? If to, if to any one of those questions your answer is yes, I implore you to turn to God today. James chapter 4 and verse 8 tells us what to do. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. How do you do that though? James, how do I draw nearer to God? He answers that by cleansing your hands of sin and purifying our hearts. The gospel message tells us very plainly how to draw near to God, how to cleanse our hands from sin. Romans 10, 17, it all starts by opening up that word and learning what Christ has to say, what God has to say to you. And then after reading that word, Romans 10, 17, it comes by believing What's written there? And we read that in our Bible class, Mark 16, 15 and 16. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. And then it requires you to purify your hearts, to cleanse your hands. And that starts by repenting, turning away from those sins you've committed, Luke 13, 3. And then being immersed for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. By doing those things, by obeying the gospel plan of salvation, you can have your sins washed away. You can draw near to God. He will draw near to you and you can leave here today knowing as God said to Joshua, He is with you wherever you go. Now I know many of us here are Christians and maybe that part of this does not apply to you. But let me ask you a question. Has sin crept into your life as well? Is sin the root of why you're discouraged? If so, you can make things right with God. You can remove that sin, cleanse your hands of that sin today as well. The Bible tells us as Christians, we have ready access to the blood of Christ, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, and that we can have any sin forgiven through repentance and prayer, Acts chapter 8 and verse 22. If you need the prayers of the church, if you need to obey the gospel, if you are subject to the Lord's invitation, please let it be known as we stand and as we sing.